Welcome to episode 689 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I am Ben Lindbergh of Grantland, joined by Sam Miller of Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Hey. Talking to me on the other side of a closed door in the same house, which is strange. I got the birds tonight. Yeah. So... Earlier this week on Monday's show, I broke the news to Sam that the Twins were having a successful season. We tentatively agreed to talk about them at some point this week, and that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to do that with the longtime Twins fan, king of the Twins blogosphere, and blogger at Hardball Talk, host of the Gleeman and the Geek podcast, Aaron Gleeman. Hey, Aaron. Hey, how's it going, guys? All right. So we have... Pick the perfect time to talk to you because the Twins are twinsing again right now as we speak. There's a game in progress. The Twins started Tommy Malone, who went five innings, didn't strike out anyone. Very Twins. They've been out-hit by the Red Sox. They've managed to tie the game on a Tory Hunter homer and then a Kurt Suzuki single. And now in the ninth against Koji Uehara, they have taken the lead on a missed catch error by third baseman Pablo Sandoval. So it's very twins. They've been out-hit. They've probably been out-pitched in a fielding-independent sense, and they've committed a couple errors. And as Which, we speak, uh, they're probably going to win the game. What You said Sandoval's error was a miscatch? Like it was like a pop-up that he just dropped? or There were uh, there were two guys on, and Maurer bunted in a tie game in the ninth inning, which if it would have gone poorly, I think my Twitter feed would have just exploded. You think uh, so? I mean, yeah. got, I don't know. I'm not sure that's a place I don't like a bunch. Yeah, but everyone here hates Maurer. It's a real odd thing. And then they threw the ball away, and they took the lead. And also before that, Hanley Ramirez made a terrible base running play, and then Mike Napoli tried to score from first base on a single, like a just a run-of-the-mill single to the outfield, and what? was thrown out. And like <laughs> From first? He tried to score from first? Yeah, I, I mean, the third base coach, Butterfield, he waved him in, so it's not really Napoli's fault. But, yeah, it's, there's a lot of weird things that have gone on that the Twins have done for themselves, but I don't really know how to measure. I'm sure there's some way to do it, but the number of just completely boneheaded base running plays and crazy bad errors that other teams have done while playing the Twins, is it's amazing. Can we go back to Napoli? Because runners <laughs> scoring from first on singles was a – I believe a, an early fascination with uh, of this podcast because of a memory I had of Eric Davis doing it once. And Eric Davis doing it once was, I mean, he was very fast. The, I mean, what? <laughs> yeah. No, uh, so, I mean. So to start, it must have been three, two, and two outs, right? He must have been going on the pitch. Uh, there was two outs, yeah. But, I mean, isn't go? I mean, Mike Napoli going on a pitch, that's a relative thing. I right. Mean, it's true. That just means that he's uh, – started the car and is waiting for it to warm up on a cold morning yeah and it it was like a fairly typical single to like right center fielded cleanly thrown into the second baseman and then dozier somebody must have yelled home 
And Dozier was kind of like, no, can't be home. So he just kind of turned around and didn't even double clutch because he wasn't even prepared to make a throw, saw what was happening and just kind of threw one into home and they tagged him out. And it, I don't, I said, uh, that's in my mind, the way like a game fixing scandal would start. Like somebody would see that play and go, yeah, something's <laughs> going on here. That's <laughs> true. Uh, it's a little obvious. It's like if this was the TV show, The Mole, everybody just found The Mole. Yeah, they were like, they were almost too obvious about it. Like they ruined the whole show. And that's the entire twin season. Is it some sort of Truman Show style yeah. experiment? Is it <laughs> 20, 29 moles? There's 29 moles and then the twins. <laughs> so if the Twins win this game, and they might by the time we finish talking, they will be 32-21, and 21, which would give them the second best record in the American League, at least briefly, behind the Astros, better than any team in the National League except the Cardinals, and this is the Minnesota Twins we're talking about. They've been bad for a few years now. I don't know whether anyone expected them to be anything otherwise this year. What were your expectations for the Twins heading into this year? I thought they would take a, like a clear step forward, but sort of like Mike Napoli running from first. It's like they've been so bad that that could have still meant, you know, 74, 75 wins. I think I officially picked them to go 75 and 87. And then they that was before they lost Urban Santana for half the year. And he was their big uh, biggest free agent signing in franchise history. I think uh, no one that I could find, like pr- in terms of prominent national predictions, had them not in last place. No, and someone, someone at BP of the many, many people surveyed had them fourth. <laughs> that was the most optimistic anyone was. Aaron, what was your reason for thinking even that they would make modest steps forward? Because the, I mean, uh, most of the the great farm system is still in the farm, right? I mean, there's not there are some guys who are young, but I mean, I, I shouldn't answer for you because you're knowledgeable. I'm not. Uh, why did you even think they would take steps forward given the makeup of this team? I thought that with Santana and hopefully Phil Hughes being closer to the 2014 version than the previous version, that their starting pitching would go from like historically inept to just regular bad and that would shave a ton of runs off we've kind of seen that and then i had a little bit of optimism for their offense you're definitely right that buxton and sano who are the two prospects that everybody's been waiting for for years now are at best were considered mid-season guys and so that didn't really play a huge factor but i did think you know kenny vargas waldo arcia danny santana some of their younger building block guys would maybe get a full season and be pretty good. And actually that's been uh, not true at all. So they're winning despite the young guys being pretty bad. Santana hasn't thrown a pitch. Phil Hughes has actually been pretty bad too. So I, uh, I'm so confused about the success of this team more so than I think any team I've ever, you know, tracked twins wise. Yeah. So, I mean, you named those guys as being pretty bad. I mean, everybody's been pretty bad, right? I mean, that's the thing about this season is that like last year they had every regular in their lineup if you count Vargas as the DH he only played 53 games but every regular in their lineup had an OPS plus higher than 100 so this year three guys do and two are under 50 and four are under 70 and in fact only three are over 90 every six of their nine regulars are under 90 for OPS plus so this is not an example of a team that's playing well 
in a like in the in the way that well, geez, this is why people hate us. This is why people hate Seth. <laughs> They've won all the games, and we're like, nah. Yeah, they're playing terribly. Yeah, yeah. No, but you're right though. I mean, I think well before today they were like either 12th or 13th in on base slugging everything basically, but they're hitting. 300 with runners in scoring position compared to like 230 with every other spot. And they've done an amazing job of having these huge innings. Like they'll score four or five runs. I think they've almost had as many four run or more innings this season than they did on average for the past three or four seasons. So they'll, they'll score and most of them have come very early. So they'll score four or five, six runs in one of the first few innings and then It'll just shut down, but that'll be enough to hold on to win. They've, I don't know, clustered their hits together, I think is what I've started saying. And runners in scoring position, they've done amazingly well. But yeah, this is not, has not been an impressive offense at all. So everyone's written their why are the Twins winning post. Jeff Sullivan did one, and Michael Bauman did one, and Matt Trueblood did one, and Joe Sheehan did one. And they've all made that, you know, basic point that the Twins hitters have been out hit and their pitchers have been out pitched. And they've just managed to sort of string together hits in a way that has helped them win more than they should have. And we've seen teams like this before where people at least made the same sort of argument about them, like the Orioles in 2012, for instance, where people would point to their run differential and say, well, it's all one run games and it's bullpen and it's not going to last in it. And it did last for them. And, and Orioles fans had reasons why those criticisms weren't valid, right? It was... Showalter was doing something special or Duquette was doing something special. There was something that the numbers were missing. Is there any sense among Twins fans or do you have the sense that there is anything that these numbers are missing? Is there some sort of Twins secret sauce? I mean, I don't have that sense, but I'm a soulless robot for the most part. <laughs> so I'm never going to have that sense. But yeah, I mean, the easiest thing that people here have pointed to is, well, you got a new manager. So Paul Mauders changed the entire vibe. So the story goes and everyone's more comfortable and it's more relaxed and they're not afraid to lose. They lose a game and the vibe in the clubhouse is much better. And then they come back and win the next day, all that stuff. But to me, as the uh, soulless robot, that all seems like kind of after the fact rationalizations. I don't in watching him. I mean, they're less there's been fewer instances where they've just immediately lost the game because the starting pitcher has been terrible which was the thing that killed them the past three or four years but other than that there hasn't been that much difference i don't think their defense hasn't been that great the bullpen perkins has been great and they've gotten crazy good performance from blaine boyer which no one really expected or you know but other than that you can't point to that much other than when they get guys on base they all start hitting until the other team is basically done is there a return of tory hunter narrative oh so much yeah there's uh he was like getting credit like before a game had been played just because the media here loves him and the fans love him and all that and now that he's performing well especially offensively and the team is doing well the number of quotes that attribute the success to him not only people making that narrative themselves but i mean the players will say that especially a lot of the young players after games they'll say yeah tory gave us a pep talk he has them uh, they have a smoke machine in the clubhouse and they do dance parties after games and i guess he was the uh, driving force behind that so yeah the tory hunter as franchise savior is yeah that's a real loud at this point boy dance parties has been done 
didn't, didn't James Shields do dance parties last year with the Royals? That was a Royals story. These veterans have to get some new post-game celebrations. The Angels never had dance parties with Tori, which really makes you wonder why he was such a bad, bad clubhouse guy back then. <laughs> why, why nobody was writing articles about the lack of, of dance parties. I didn't. If we'd known he had another notch, he could have taken it to <laughs> right. been a controversy. So is there anyone on this team who is underperforming? Like, is there anyone that you look at and say, okay, the Twins' underlying performance hasn't been that great, but maybe there is actually more here, and as their luck goes the other way, and eventually they stop clustering their hits like this, some guys will actually just play better. Is there anyone who who fits that description? I mean, I would hope Joe Maurer, but at this point... I, there's not much evidence to support that other than the fact that he used to be really, really good. But since the concussion in uh, mid-2013, he moved to first base. That was supposed to help keep him healthy and up his production. But he's been uh, – he's turned into like kind of a, I don't know, JT Snow type hitter where he takes some walks and you know is capable of a clutch hit now and then just because his approach at the plate is okay. But he's not – I mean, he's basically hitting like a shortstop for the past year and a half. So – I would guess he'll be better than he's been, but who knows? I mean, some of the guys that you would expect, like, I mean, we talked a little bit about Vargas and Arcia, but they're currently at AAA, and the Twins are playing guys like uh, Eduardo Escobar and Eduardo Nunez and Shane Robinson. They're, they've chosen to give those guys DH time and left field time over guys who might actually have some offensive upside. So I really – there's no one you can point to because the, the best – all-around position players in the team are probably Dozier and Plouffe at this point, maybe Hunter, and they've been the three guys who have actually hit so far. I mean, we've seen some teams that managed to sustain this sort of thing for a full season, like the 2007 Diamondbacks who won 90 games and made the playoffs with the run differential of a 79-win team. And sometimes you just get off to a, a fluky start, and then you can bolster the team somehow and actually make it count. Is there... Anything that the Twins could do or that you expect them to do, either calling people up or making trades or something to build on this run, even if they didn't, quote-unquote, deserve it? I think that's definitely... There's People have been debating should they try to, you know, if they're still in this in July, try to make trades, and I am i don't quite know what to think. I, it makes me a little nervous, but in terms of call-ups, I mean, if they're playing anywhere close to this well in a month... You have Byron Buxton, who's a consensus top three prospect, a potentially, you know, gold glove center fielder with a good bat. You have Miguel Sano, who is a potential 35 homer guy in the middle of the lineup. You could call those two guys up and that can make a huge impact. I don't know that they'll do that, but they've been good, but not great for the most part at double A, both of them. And then the other thing is Irvin Santana, who was supposed to be their number two starter, comes back, I think, in exactly four weeks from now. So they'll be able to get hopefully 15 starts from him. So you're kind of adding a good starting pitcher, hopefully, in Santana. So that's a little bit like a trade. And then at some point, if Sano and Buxton keep playing well at double A, you'd think they have to get called up. Although Sano is still playing third base and Plouffe is the third baseman. He's not going anywhere. And Buxton is center field and they've given Aaron Hicks another shot to, to play there. And he's not been horrible and he's actually been really good defensively. So... I think those would be the three obvious additions, but for the the two prospects, I'm not sure what they're thinking is at this point because I think the team's success has really changed what their plan was. So at this time last year, and I was thinking about this as we prepared to talk to you, we had J.P. Breen on to talk about the Brewers, 
who were the similar story at the time. They were a team that wasn't projected to be much better than a high 70s win team. They seemed to be running away with it, although there wasn't a ton of great individual performance that made you go, that's why. And the Royals, we didn't talk to JP bringing about the Royals. That would have been nonsensical. However, the Royals were also a team that, as the deadline approached, was a team that was seen as generally being not that good. They um, were around 500. They had a run differential and a third-order winning percentage that were much worse than that. And I'm trying to remember, uh, as I recall, the Royals were in the trade market, right, at the time, or they were, like, trying to trade for somebody, and the Brewers were kind of inactive and sat out. And I think we have the same sort of discussion of like, well, are they really good enough? And it seems like you, if you're if you're there, if you're close, you pretty much have to go for it. Right. But I don't know. The Pirates two years ago didn't. And they were somewhat criticized for not. But then, you know, they won the next year and they stayed with their plan. I mean, it's it's a challenge. Right. Do you how much do you invest in the season that comes a year earlier than you were planning on? And that, you know, is. Like, it's windfall, right? You're playing with house money at this point. But on the other hand, who knows? Maybe it's the closest you ever get. We don't really know. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's scary because they have a very well-stocked farm system. Most of their top prospects haven't been called up yet. They have a fan base that sort of gave up on the team. The attendance has been terrible for a year and a half. And they also have a front office that's run by a very veteran GM who I think would like to win sooner than later, certainly. If they wanted to add a setup man or add a, you know, platoon outfielder or something like that to boost the offense. That's, that'd be one thing. But yet the notion of them being out there trying to acquire a number one starter or some sort of middle of the order bat is, is really scary to me. By the time the deadline comes, we might not even have to have that conversation because the central has some other good teams and the twins haven't built up a huge lead or anything. So they could fall out of it fairly quickly if, things started going against them but do twins fans and i'm talking i guess about non-internet twins fans <laughs> because the the internet seems sort of united on whether the twins are actually good does the average twins fan at the ballpark buy this team do you think i mean is there a lot of excitement like okay this is the the twins team we've been waiting for all these years there's definitely a lot of excitement i'd say it's like maybe 30% people who buy this and 70% people who are just happy to not have a terrible team and really don't care and kind of don't want to talk about all the stuff we've talked about of whether or not it's for real and why not. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, as someone who writes about them almost every day and hosts a show about them, it is nice to just have a team that is not terrible. I mean, it's, it's rough to talk about four 90 plus loss seasons in a row. You kind of get it beaten out of you that you just it's hard to get motivated to even talk about should they do this and should they do that because it's like what's the difference and so i'm fairly convinced that they're gonna slip and fall back down to earth a little bit but i'm also trying to wrap my head around you know they've banked these wins they don't have to give these wins back and there's nothing saying that they're gonna you know play 200 baseball for the second half to meet some sort of you know 75 win projection so I've been trying to convince myself that if I thought they were a 75 win team coming into the season, now I should basically think of them as a, you know, 80, 82 win team, something like that. But it's, it's a tough sell even within my brain. Yeah. And I mean, it can still be fun. <laughs> even if you're fully aware of all the stuff we've talked about, it can be completely enjoyable in the moment for as long as it lasts. 
So has there been a particularly fun moment or a weirdest or wackiest thing that has gotten the Twins way that stands out in your mind? I mean, there's been so many because the way they've won is almost every victory. Like today was a perfect example. Like either something incredibly strange goes wrong for the other team or that happens and maybe Torrey Hunter comes up with a three-run homer or the Twins explode for six runs in an inning. It, there, there hasn't been that many just, you know, four to two victory where they scored uh, two runs in the fourth, one run in the sixth, and one in the eighth and just kind of coasted to a random win that you'll never remember. Almost every one has been something strange happened, some inning where 90% of their hits came within a 10-minute stretch. It's really – it's been a lot of fun to watch. Uh, you're right that, you know, I should, or Twins fans should set aside whatever they think is going to happen for the rest of the season and just kind of say, we've watched some really weird stuff happen, some really fun stuff happen, and especially coming on the heels of so much losing. It's, uh, it's been remarkable. So at this point, they would have to win 51.3% of their games in order to get to 88. And let's say 88 is the cutoff to make the playoffs. So that's like, you know, an 82 or 83 win team rest of the way i'm guessing you take the under and say that you would still bet against them to make the playoffs yeah for sure what winning percentage do i need to get you to in order for them like if they win the next six for instance then they would only have to win 48.5 percent of their games and 48.5 percent of their games over the course of a full season is 79 can they do that would yeah you bet? they can but would you bet on it I don't know. I'm still kind of sticking. I don't know why I'm sticking to this because it's not like, you know, my projections are infallible, but I'm still kind of sticking to them as a 75 win team, which I don't know if there's any reason to do that at this point. But yeah, but if you start, yeah, I could, I mean, I would, if you said they're going to play at a 78 win pace from here on out, I would certainly not doubt that at all. It's perfectly reasonable. I mean, basically any team that's not a disaster can do that, right? So I think at that point, I'd maybe uh i would take the under but i would perhaps not bet a whole bunch on it and and if it comes to pass does kyle gibson with his 4.4 strikeouts per nine and three walks per nine or mike pelfrey with his 4.1 strikeouts per nine and 2.7 walks per nine start the opener of the series yeah that's when it really gets uh well that's gonna be fun i remember the days when the twins would would make the playoffs all the time and get knocked out immediately by the yankees and People would call in to talk radio and say they need an ace, they need an ace, and I always thought that was really an annoying discussion to have, but I long for those days now. So yeah, I guess I would say Phil Hughes is your game one starter, and then you even have even with the bad ERA and the bad FIP. I mean, those guys both have two point six ERAs. You think Hughes still gets to start with the bad ERA and the bad FIP? I mean, I'm gonna assume he's gonna be a little bit better. I mean, I guess Phil Hughes game one, Irvin Santana game two, Kyle Gibson game three is not the worst playoff rotation i've ever seen but yeah that's when you start thinking about it and they really stand out as kind of just not a playoff team when you start putting it in that in those terms but uh when they were a playoff team i i was at a playoff game in minnesota where they started brian dunsing against the yankees so uh that doesn't necessarily mean anything i guess but last year we we kept wondering how hughes was doing what he was doing because he was just throwing a ton of pitches in the strike zone and it seemed to work really really well and we wondered why those pitches didn't get hit more often when hitters knew that he was just always going to be throwing them in the strike zone so we wondered how that worked so well and is the answer now looking like it doesn't for for more than one season I th- a little bit. I think, I mean, he always had issues 
giving up too many home runs, and that's right. his main thing this season. He's still throwing an incredible number of strikes. I think I think he has fewer walks actually than he did at this point last season. But yeah, he's seven and sixty nine innings. Yeah, I mean, so that hasn't changed at all. But he's uh, a little bit more, you know, Bob Tewksbury esque than he was before. I think part of that is just because hitters have adjusted. They know you might as well just hack at him because he's not going to walk you. Uh, I think he's getting, I don't know, ambushed or whatever term people like to use now earlier in at bats. I also just think he he had a hip flexor injury that he had some trouble with. He had a broken fingernail at one point that he couldn't throw his breaking stuff as well for a couple starts. So I think that's maybe played a part a little bit. But, I mean, I didn't expect him to, uh, again, set the best strikeout to walk ratio in the history of baseball. But I think he's been close enough to that type of pitcher that I would bet on him having a lower ERA for the rest of the season. I don't think he's going to be an ace caliber guy, but he'll probably, I think he'll still end up as their best pitcher probably or best starter. I really thought the twins were starting to get to the point where they might strike some people out. I wrote something a couple of years ago about how they had traded or drafted some, some strikeout guys and they'd sort of said some stuff that sounded like they were more, more eager to strike some people out. And nope. <laughs> nope. They are still striking out fewer batters than anyone else. You is were there... excited by the Meyer trade. I remember you thought that that was like yeah. the moment that Yeah, that was revealed that was one of the things. Yeah. And uh that has not happened at all. It was like they signed a bunch of guys, they drafted them. I'm scrolling through this article, which is not great podcast. But... Hey, can I ask you a question while you're scrolling? Mm-hmm. All right. Aaron. Let's say that the Twins could trade Buxton for Strasburg right now. Strasburg's <laughs> a free agent after after 2016. So they'd get him for the playoffs this year if they made it. They'd get him for the stretch run. And they'd have him for next year. Do you do it? I would hang up so fast on that call. All right, let me let me try again. Buxton for Kashner. Same same contract status. No. I mean... So no become, for Kashner. I've become so attached to the notion of Byron Buxton being essentially Willie Mays at this point, that trading him for even a season and a half of a legit number one guy seems kind of crazy. But And also, if the twi- I mean, if Terry Ryan, if anybody even called Terry Ryan and actually offered them that, I'd just be shocked just by the way uh, he is and is perceived around baseball. But yeah, I'm a, maybe this is being a fan of a small market developed from within team for my whole life, but th- those type of trades always seem insane to me. In almost every circumstance, but. Alright, what about Sano for Kashner? Uh, are we convinced that Kashner's amazing? I mean, he's really good, but I, uh. Well, are we convinced that Sano is? No, that's true. Yeah, I guess maybe I should think about that because Sano very easily, he's playing third base right now, but I don't know that that'll stick. He could very easily be a 250 hitting 30 homer first baseman or left fielder or something, in which case it doesn't have that much value, but. I feel like the Twins, after waiting through all that losing, they kind of have to see, at least with those two guys, Buxton and Snow, how it actually turns out. So episode 92 of this podcast was about the Alex Meyer trade. Then there was trading Ben Revere for Trevor May, and there was Cole Nelson, the guy they got back for Delman Young, and Lester Oliveros, and they drafted a bunch of guys, Hudson Boyd, Madison Bower, Jose Barrios, Luke Bard, Zachary Jones, lots of guys who threw mid-90s, high-90s, and it looked like there was going to be a wave of these guys coming, 
But this was a couple of years ago, and they haven't really showed up at the major league level. Are are some of these guys still coming? Is there like a hard throwing Triple A Twins team? There is. Okay, so that's an interesting list you just named because. Uh, they have a lot of hard-throwing relievers, including Lester Oliveros, but they've chosen to go with Blaine Boyer and Aaron Thompson and guys who don't strike anybody out, and it's worked uh, amazingly well so far. But, yeah, Lester Oliveros is still putting up big numbers at AAA. Alex Meyer last week was moved to the bullpen at AAA, so they've sort of given up on him being a starter, for now at least, just because he could never get his control to a point that – he was pitching it all deep in games, and then this year at AAA, he was a mess. Trevor May has actually been – he's in their rotation right now and has actually been pretty impressive. He's one of their only guys who misses bats and throws you know, harder than 92 with his fastball. So he, I think, has the potential to be a maybe a number three starter long term. Most of the guys they've drafted have uh, flamed out. Jose Barrios is at AA doing really well, so they still think he's going to be – at this point, he's their best pitching prospect. But yeah, for the most part, the guys they acquired, and I liked the Meyer trade too at the time. I thought to get a six foot nine, hard throwing former first round pick who people legit thought was a top 50 prospect for Denard Spann was a good move. But at this point, they're hoping he'll be a reliever and they, he still has yet to debut. And I think he turns 26 before the end of the season. Mason Melotakis, he's doing well in double <laughs> A, also a reliever, yeah. but has a six strikeout to walk ratio. So lots of guys, but I guess they ended up in the bullpen mostly. And they have Glenn Perkins, so it's sort of safe to have strikeout guys in the bullpen. They have one of those guys. We're kind of at the crest of the the wave, maybe, of the of the Twins' excitement. So everyone's writing about the Twins, talking about the Twins this week. What date would you guess is the day when everyone starts writing there? Oh, okay, these are... These are the real twins. <laughs> when what is that week? Oh, I I really fit in with you guys because you know in Minnesota I am the biggest buzzkill, but I think I'm like <laughs> second or third biggest buzzkill just on this show, which is it's nice. It's a good change. I guess logically I say I don't know mid July. Give them another month. I you know as uh, somebody who still grew up a Twins fan and hasn't let all of that escape from me yet, I still. Part of me is like, how bad would they truly have to play between now and the trade deadline for no one to consider them even on the fringes of playoff contention? And it would have to be really, really bad, like Sam was pointing out with the you know winning percentages and stuff. So I don't know that it's going to be before the end of July, really. But which, like I said, it's scary. It's a, a new feeling for me. But they, I mean, they could easily have a bad three weeks and still be. A couple games above 500 and, you know, with the wild card stuff, it's it's tough to play yourself completely out of the playoff race after this type of start. All right. Well, it's possible to look at it analytically and also enjoy every minute of it. And maybe they will end up proving us wrong somehow. So enjoy it while it lasts, as long as it lasts. <laughs> maybe it'll last all season. Who knows? All right. Aaron Gleeman is on Twitter at Aaron Gleeman, and you can find him blogging all day at hardball talk at nbc sports thank you aaron thanks guys all right so that is it for this week you can support our sponsor the play index by going to baseballreference.com using the coupon code bp to get the discounted price of 30 dollars on a one-year subscription send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com join the facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild and have a wonderful weekend we will be back next week